This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. You're listening to season two of the Happy as a Mother podcast. Welcome back, everybody. I'm so excited to kick off season two with you. And here today to help us jump right in is Dr. Heidi Green. Dr. Heidi is a licensed psychologist and trauma therapist. Now, I've asked Dr. Heidi to join us to help us unpack birth trauma specifically, but these things that we talk about can be related to any kind of trauma, understanding what trauma really is, how it manifests itself in our life, and some things that we can do to help move past that wound and not be stuck in that trauma story and that that victim story where, you know, we're living out of this hurt and out of this wound and how we can take our story back and own it in a really powerful way. Dr. Heidi is incredibly qualified to speak to this topic. She's got an Instagram that is focused on trauma, but she's also recently landed a book deal writing all about overcoming past trauma, childhood trauma, and really living your best life. So I can't wait for you guys to hear what we talk about in this interview today. Before we get to it, I'm going to read the review of the week. This review in iTunes comes to us from Aisha Lawrence. I love what you're doing with this platform. Motherhood is a blessing, but it can also feel overwhelming. And being honest and open and seeking help with resources like yours is a game changer in how we glide through it. Followed you via Instagram and it brought me to your podcast. Thank you so much for being here, Aisha. It means the world to me that this resource is having an impact in the life of you know, moms all around the world. So I appreciate your review. I appreciate your kind words. And I can't wait to serve you guys with another amazing interview today. Let's hear from Dr. Heidi Green. Welcome to the Happy as a Mother podcast, where we are dedicated to helping you cope with the load of motherhood. I'm your host and registered psychotherapist, Erica Jossa. Let's work together in letting go of shame and guilt, accepting where we are in our journey, and moving towards becoming the women we want to be. We will hear from experts, learn practical tips, and listen in on honest conversations. Please note that the information shared in this podcast is for educational purposes only and should not replace the advice of your healthcare provider. Okay, let's dive in. Dr. Heidi, thank you so much for being here with us today. I have been waiting for this interview. I think we're going to bring so many valuable things to the audience today. So thank you for joining us. Thank you so much for the invite. It was really um, an honor to be asked to come on and talk about uh, the work that I do. And so I really appreciate you. Trauma. Like, yes, what a topic and one that not many people have like a really solid understanding of. Um, If we can first just take a moment to talk about how you came to specialize in working with trauma in therapy and with your clients, like how did you, how did you move into that specialty in that niche? Yeah. So I think 
Like many therapists, I had my own experience uh, in therapy. I would have never described myself in my young adulthood as a um, as a survivor of childhood trauma. Um, but uh, I got to a point after my divorce where I was uh, horribly depressed. I was experiencing a lot of anxiety. I went and worked with a therapist and really uncovered um, so much about my personal story and how it was impacting how I was showing up in my life in the present. And that work of making the connections to my present day struggles and my, my personal life history was so powerful and so shifting for me that once I got into a place of, uh, of real emotional health, I wanted to give back. And so I went back to school um, and am now uh, a licensed clinical psychologist and did the extra work to get um, specifically trained in the treatment of trauma because it just, it changed my life and because I wanted to give back and help other people take back their lives as well. Wow. That is so powerful and like special. I love asking this question to those that I interview because I often find that those who are most passionate about and really doing significant work in their field and in their specialty often are those who have overcome, you know, those battles in their own life. Like you, for example, with trauma Mm -hmm. or me with postpartum depression and, and having to work through the maternal mental health aspect. And it leads to just some of the most passionate professionals. So I applaud you for going back to school and applying yourself after having babies. Like, I don't know that I could do school with my mummy brain right now. I'm so <laughs> so impressed with the fact that you did that and that you're giving back in that way. It's amazing. Well, thank um, you. I appreciate that. Yeah. So before we even, I have so many amazing questions for you. Like I can't, I've been really looking forward to this conversation, but before we even move into it, can we talk about the definition of trauma and what trauma is, because I feel like that word is so different for everybody and they think of, you know, traumas and and they don't see it as relating to themselves. So can we unpack that a little bit? Yes. And I think that that's really important because you're right in that so many people um, have their own definition of trauma. And for a lot of people, kind of like me at one point, um, trauma was something that happened you know, to others, I had this definition and it didn't apply to me, uh, which was blocking me really from being able to do some very important healing work that I needed to do. And so I do think it's important to to redefine uh, what trauma is so that you can examine your own uh, trauma story. When I'm working with clients, I, I always say that if you've made it to adulthood, you're a trauma survivor uh, because life encompasses trauma. That's part of being alive. It's part of being a human. And um, and we all experience it in one way or another. So here's how I will generally define it for people in a way that I think makes it applicable to everyone. Trauma is any painful experience that you have that feels overwhelming or unmanageable at the time when you're experiencing it and that leaves some sort of lasting imprint on you. Um, So while a lot of people will consider trauma, you know, what we sometimes refer to as big T's, those big single incident types of traumas where, you know, maybe you've been in a car accident or you've, um, you know, been assaulted or something like that. Um, The, the, 
other types of traumas that are important to look at are what we refer to as these smaller T traumas, these little traumas that happen to all of us uh, throughout our lives. So it might be, um, you know, being a child who's uh, bullied at school. That's a great example of something that at the time is painful and overwhelming and unmanageable for that child. And it's quite likely that a child that experienced, um, uh, you know, severe or ongoing bullying might grow up to be an adult that has really negative self-talk or who's quite conflict avoidant or has difficulty connecting with others. And so that's one example of how um, what you might not think of as traumatic when you're an adult um, really is something that that was traumatic at the time and shaped, you know, the, the kind of adult that you become. Hmm. As you're talking, I'm thinking about trauma, like physical trauma versus like emotional trauma, because I know yes. in the maternal mental health field, when we talk about like birth trauma or or mm-hmm. trauma that moms often experience, it's like that that mom has experienced a real or perceived threat to the life of her and or baby. Right. Right. So it's often like a threat of one's physical safety. That's how we often define trauma or that's even how I think of it. But what I'm hearing you saying is that trauma can also like be emotional and not just physical. Absolutely. And the other thing that's important um, to note is that the way that your brain responds to these painful or scary um, experiences is, is the same whether it's physical or emotional um, trauma, whether it's real or perceived danger. Your brain doesn't really know the difference between physical and emotional danger, doesn't know the difference between real or perceived danger. And so your, your brain is going to respond to whatever it's making up about a situation, however it's perceiving or experiencing that situation. So in many cases, the, the story that you tell yourself or the messages that you take in about your experiences become far more important than the actual facts of your experiences because your brain is just processing what it believes in the moment, not what maybe is actually happening. Hmm. I love that. The story we tell ourselves, like I use that a lot when I'm working with families and couples and anyone, you know, kind of where we're trying to communicate something because Mm -hmm. two people can be going through the same experience and one is internalizing and telling themselves a very different story of the event than the other is, right? So That's such an excellent point. Yeah, I love that. And that's very true when we're speaking about trauma as well. Like when I work with moms, um, you know, one mom might come in that had to have an emergency C-section, for example. Mm-hmm. And she adapted to that situation. And, you know, it wasn't, it was like, you know, obviously unsettling in the moment, but it didn't seem to have any lasting impact on her like psychological or emotional well-being afterwards. Right. Whereas another mom, you know, under very similar same set of circumstances has an emergency C-section and is having like flashbacks about it or, mm-hmm. you know, having all kinds of anxiety and other symptoms after baby is born. And it's seemingly a very similar situation. Um, so can we talk a little bit about that in the sense of how trauma is sort of yes. in the eye of the beholder, as they say, right? Absolutely. You're so right. And there are so many different um, uh, factors that play into how you both um, experience your trauma in the moment and how you reconcile 
your traumatic experiences after the fact. And so just like you said, you know, two, two moms with two similar birth stories with vastly different um, outcomes, right? Mm-hmm. And that to do with many different things. It could have to do first with just the, um, the mom herself, right? So her natural um, temperament in general, how emotionally resilient she is, but also things like what's going on in her current life. Um, you know, what other factors that are happening in her day-to-day life may be making her uh, more or less resilient to um, adversity? Or, you know, how old is this mom? Has she had other children? Is this her first? You know, how much support does she have from her partner or her family? There are so many different factors that play into how we experience and recover from difficult circumstances. So yes, two uh, two moms can have, you know, a very similar birth story with very different outcomes. I think that that's a really important point for us to to make and for moms to know and hear is that you can go through your experience and it is valid. Even if your friend went through the same experience and, you know, she's unaffected or seems sort of unfazed by it, but you are struggling um, your trauma and your experience that, that you are going through is absolutely valid. Um, like you said, for a number of different reasons, maybe you are responding differently or, um, you know, what you internalized about the situation or the circumstances or the, the feeling like you had support in that moment or didn't. Like there's so many different factors, but mm-hmm. either way. I love what you had said in one of your videos on Instagram about how, um, like, your you don't have to have experience like the worst case scenario, yes. right? Mm-hmm. So, like, you may hear of yes, there are, there are these birth traumas that are like horrific. Like, I don't even want to recite the details of them, type of thing right. that moms go through that are just like it takes a lot of time to process through. But then there are these so-called kind of normal kind of quote-unquote bursts that happen that you may feel traumatized by. Trauma isn't about like who had it worse. Your experience right. is valid at the end of the day. Yes, and and what I said in in the Instagram uh, video that you're referring to is that it doesn't matter to your brain, you know, what has happened to other people. Your brain only knows how to process, you know, its own experiences. So when other people have stories that are worse, um, it, it really has no impact on how you process things. So when we get stuck in that trap of comparing our story, our trauma, our, um, our resilience to other people, we're really just setting ourselves up to feel pretty bad about ourselves because um, what goes on with other people and how they process and how they, um, how they overcome, you know, the adversity in in their life really doesn't have anything to do with how our brain is processing um, because each person and each, you know, family and each life is, is different. And so we have to expect that each one of us is going to respond differently to similar situations. That's so interesting. So like how how does our brain respond or react in traumatic situations, would you say? You know, there are a few different ways that the brain can respond. Um, and there's been some really interesting um, research 
done uh, that has actually looked at the at brain scans of people who um, have experienced trauma. And we've found a few different ways that the brain can respond. Um, one way, Nate, you've probably heard of, um, you know, fight, flight, or freeze. Mm-hmm. Let me tell you what's actually happening in your brain during those circumstances. So if you go into flight, your brain is highly activated. And, and the part of your brain that's most activated is your emotion side of your brain. Your logic side of your brain is actually not quite as active. So this is where you'll see people having um, responses that include a lot of reactivity, a lot of emotion, sometimes um, you know impulsive um, actions or, or words because their emotion center is just absolutely firing on all cylinders and um, their logic or or their wise mind is is a little bit offline in that moment. Now that's really helpful if you need to run, right? If you're in true flight or you need to get out. Um, But when it's not a physical uh, trauma that you need to escape from, and it's actually an emotional situation that you need to sit and be with and work through with other people, um, that can be tricky. It's not quite so helpful to have your emotion side fired up and your logic side offline. But that is one way that the brain responds. And when you are, um, and when you're in fight, it's that same thing, fight or flight kind of indicate that same high emotion and and low, um, low logic uh, firing in the brain. When you go into freeze, um, both hemispheres of your brain are are kind of checking out. And so this is where you see people who really shut down. They're not able to make decisions. They don't know what's going on. They might not remember what was happening around them because the brain is trying to protect itself from really soaking in everything that's happening in the moment. And so when you see people who um, hardly respond at all in a moment where they're experiencing trauma, that is because their brain has gone into preservation mode and it's mm-hmm. kind of down in an effort to protect from really feeling the traumatic experience. Um, so there are a few different ways. And again, this is just kind of dependent on, on your genetics and maybe some of your early life experiences and how your brain developed um, uh, is, are the things that contribute to, you know, whether or not your brain um, you know, starts firing on all cylinders or starts shutting down. And so it's not really helpful to judge how you respond to a traumatic situation because it's really outside your control. Wow. Wow. I've heard moms talk about um, that freeze mode after, like mm-hmm. just after baby is born and after going through the, the their traumatic experience, just kind of feeling like just crying and being out of it. And like people have come and go from the room and actually like a couple of hours have passed and they just sort of sat there and they cried. And like in retrospect, looking back, processing their birth trauma, like there there's this gap of time that they're sort of, not that they can't recollect in the sense that they've like dissociated from it, but that they just, Mm -hmm. you know, disconnected. Like they just had a really hard time. Right. Um, And, And that's the brain purposefully disconnecting in an effort to try and keep you from soaking in, you know, all the pain of that moment. So while it can feel um, frustrating or why, well, while you may judge yourself or how you responded, it's important to remember that your brain was, was trying to help you in that moment. Um, And so having a little bit of, uh, of compassion for yourself and gratitude to your brain for doing its best 
um, to, to help protect you in a, in a difficult situation is, is more helpful than being critical towards yourself for how you responded in, in a difficult moment. Yeah. Yeah. And, and like birth stories are such a, um, like, I guess I could say sensitive thing. I don't know. It's like you have these expectations going into a birthing situation that you're going to have this moment of just like euphoric bonding with baby when baby mm. is born. And it's going to be this beautiful thing. And birth is absolutely a beautiful thing and, and can be, um, you know, uh, like not traumatic and beautiful. And, and it's beautiful either way that it happens, but it can be traumatic sometimes. And then mom's baby comes out and they don't necessarily know that they've experienced trauma and then they don't bond with baby when baby comes out. Like, you know, like they've just gone through this trauma. Their body is like in shock yes. or they feel disconnected. And then, then baby comes out and they like don't even want to hold baby. They just want to cry or they just don't feel anything in that moment that is sort of painted as being one of these most magical moments of life, right? right. And and this is something that I talk with moms about a lot is like sometimes we don't like we have to work to bond with with baby. Like it may not inherently happen, but as we're talking I'm really thinking, you know, um maybe we should explore more about about their birthing experience because it, it could be very true and real that that there's trauma at play there potentially, um, like how their body is responding to what they've just gone through, right? Absolutely, and and let's let's just um, let's just put it out there that birth is traumatic. Birth is is a physical uh, trauma for mom and for baby. I mean, if, if you imagine, you know, this little being and, and this experience of being warm and safe and cuddled up for nine months, and then all of a sudden you're, you know, you're being squished and squeezed and you come out and it's cold and it's bright. And all of a sudden now you have to breathe, which you never had to do before. Um, both mom and baby are experiencing physical trauma. And so both mom and baby are, are going to respond differently to the physical trauma that just occurred. And it can be difficult for both mom and baby to get online with one another immediately because you've both just experienced something really difficult. And if you look at, you know, not a birth story, but any other time that you experienced a, a big trauma, whether it be physical or emotional it is hard sometimes to connect to another person right away because you're in shock or you're confused or um, or you're physically uncomfortable. And so when you put two people who just had uh, a physical trauma simultaneously and you put them together and you expect them to immediately bond, sometimes they can and, and sometimes they can't. And that's just as natural to to struggle with it a little bit as it is to have that immediate bonding experience. I think that that's so freeing that we put that out there for the moms that are listening, you know, because so many moms that I speak with feel guilt about um, not having that euphoric moment with baby, you know, or or maybe even resenting the birthing experience that they just went through, depending on how intense it was and whatever. Like, there's just a lot going on, you know, for mom and baby, as you said. So, so I appreciate you putting that out there. Yeah. And we can, we can respond in so many different ways. I I will tell you that. So I have three daughters and, and I had that immediate euphoric experience with my first and did not with either of my other two. And, um, and for me, it was, you know, I had this, 
For my second, I had this daughter who I'd had for several years and I loved her so much and we were so bonded. And, and all of a sudden this baby gets plopped onto my lap and I, I liked her. I was curious about her, but I didn't immediately feel for her what I felt for this other person who I had been bonding with for the last several years. And, and we bonded eventually. I didn't have any um, uh, you know dislike towards her, but it was more like, hello, nice to meet you. And I'm curious about you, but, but I don't know you yet. Uh, and I same way with my third. And, and by not being judgmental towards myself about that and just giving myself permission to be interested and curious um, about this new little person in my life, I, I think that it allowed me to bond m- more quickly because I wasn't giving myself a hard time about not having had that same euphoric experience that I had the first time. Yeah. Yeah. And I remember feeling a similar way with my second. It was like, I had this immediate sort of attachment or whatever with with my first son when he was born and with my second. But once you've had a child before and you've had like two or three or however many years yes. of like investing in that attachment, mm-hmm. then then you do love this little human. But like of they course. don't like tell you that they love you and give you kisses. Like, <laughs> you know, like they still you still have to develop that attachment and it grows stronger right. sort of every day that they that they age and that you have together, right? So Absolutely. yeah, that's so interesting. So if we all go through birthing and it is it, like this trauma to the to the body and to baby, um, like how do we know if we are struggling with trauma? And like Like, how do we know the signs that that it's interfering? When should we seek out help for it? Um, Because some are affected and it has lasting effects on some and not on others. So how do we we know? So this is such a great question. And if if we go back to the idea that, you know, our brains respond either by um, uh, by becoming very uh, sensory overloaded, like in fight or flight, or um, by becoming very sensory depleted, like in freeze, um, we can we can be on the lookout for how our thoughts, um, feelings, and behaviors may be representative of that in our daily life. So, for example, if we get home with baby and we are noticing that we're having um, a lot of really strong um, emotional reactions to things, big overreactions. Um, to things. Now, a little bit of that is going to happen in the beginning. Naturally, I remember coming home after one of my children was born and I burned soup and I cried for probably two hours because I just burned this tub of soup. Um, And, but you know, I mean, the, the, the emotions or the hormones are flowing right after, after baby is born. So when you get past that initial, you know, um, kind of rush of, of hormone changes and body changes, and you're starting to, um, to really settle in to, um, uh, to life back at home and you're still noticing lots of big overreactions or lots of underreactions, having a really difficult time, a continued difficult time connecting with baby, feeling love, feeling joy. Um, if you're experiencing uh, thoughts, feelings, or behaviors that represent either that, that over uh, stimulus in the brain or under stimulus in the brain, then you could be having a more ongoing um, trauma response. And it might be helpful at that point to reach out um, to, to your doctor, if you have a therapist, to reach out to your therapist, or even if you just have friends who you can um, uh, really open up to and relate to and who can give you some feedback just so that you can feel like you have 
the support around you as you're recovering and have some of your experiences be um, normalized. So much of what we do in trauma therapy is is validating and holding space for people. And while trauma uh, trauma therapists are great at that, and we can incorporate all other um, sorts of techniques to that, sometimes that's all we need is that experience of having somebody hold space with us, validate us, normalize our experience, and that that in and of itself can be so healing. Mealtime with kids can be stressful, but with Factors Delicious ready-to-eat meals, it can be a lot easier. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian approved and ready-to-eat in just two minutes. No worrying about ingredients and nutrition, no prep, no mess, and no cooking while wrangling toddlers. Choose from a weekly menu of 35 options, including popular options like Calorie Smart, Keto, Protein Plus, or vegan and veggie. Also discover more than 60 add-ons every week, like breakfast, on-the-go lunch, snacks, and beverages to help you stay fueled and feel good all day long. What are you waiting for? Get started today and fuel up for your springtime goals. Factor can even be tailored to your schedule. Customize your weekly meals with the flexibility to get as much or as little as you need. Pause or reschedule deliveries to suit your lifestyle. Take the stress out of meals with Factor. Head to factormeals.com slash momwell50 and use code momwell50 to get 50% off your first box. Want to get smarter about your health but feel overwhelmed trying to separate fact from fiction? We hear a lot about gut health, microbiomes, and other nutrition topics, but taking the time to research these is exhausting, and there's a lot of misinformation out there. The Zoe Science and Nutrition Podcast makes it so much easier to get the information you need. With the help of world-leading scientists, the podcast gives you research-based information so you can make informed choices for yourself without pressure and guilt. People are loving Zoe Science and Nutrition. Listener Stephanie's Apple Review says the Zoe Science and Nutrition Podcast is a life-changing, science-based, myth-busting podcast. That's a must-listen for anyone who eats food and wants to understand how it affects their body. With the Zoe Science and Nutrition Podcast, you can join Stephanie and millions of others accessing quality information about their health. Find it wherever you listen to podcasts. One of the most relentless mental loads is being the juggler of medical appointments. Researching doctors, reading reviews, making phone calls to book appointments, it's a lot of stress when you're already juggling so much invisible labor. That's what makes ZocDoc great for moms. ZocDoc is a free app and website where you can search and compare hundreds of types of highly rated in-network doctors, including mental health providers, and instantly book appointments with them online. ZocDoc has doctors of all specialties, including therapists, psychiatrists, and psychologists with verified patient reviews so you can make sure they check all your boxes. You can find mental health providers who offer in-person appointments, virtual consults, or both, whatever works for you. The typical wait time to see a mental health provider booked on ZocDoc is just four days. Sometimes you can even book same-day appointments. Make juggling appointments easier with ZocDoc. Go to ZocDoc.com slash momwell and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top-rated therapist, psychiatrist, or psychologist today. That's Z-O-C-D-O-C dot com slash momwell. 
ZocDoc.com slash MomWell. I think about like in the maternal mental health field now, they like recognize um, PTSD like related to birth and and postpartum. Mm -hmm. So as somebody who is now like specializing in the maternal mental health field, that's definitely something that I'm screening for. I'm asking all the questions about um, like birth and their reaction and stuff. Because it sounds like some of these symptoms kind of can overlap with like depressive mood symptoms. And so, and this is one of the things about the postpartum period that is so tricky is that so many things are going on with our bodies like physiologically and our hormones. We're sleep deprived. We've got this new little dependent. Um, And so weeding out what's really going on is is challenging. And even for myself as a mental health professional who has the education and the understanding of what these mood and anxiety disorders are, I even had a hard time distinguishing, um, you know, my depressive mood because it was just like in the form of lethargy. And I I, like I couldn't get up and shower. And, you know, but Mm -hmm. I also was like six to eight weeks postpartum and I was still recovering. Covering and I was still healing, you know. So, mm-hmm. um, so it's hard for for moms to weed through all of the symptoms to kind of know um, PTSD specifically. So, post traumatic stress disorder would be a sort of clinically diagnosed um, form of trauma, right? And it comes with its own set of criteria. So would that be like the capital T trauma versus like the sort of smaller T traumas? You know, uh, sometimes, but not always. So um, the the primary um, uh, criteria for PTSD is that you have to have had some sort of traumatic experience, you know, wherein you um, had, like you referred to before, this real or perceived threat um, to, it's like a bodily threat, right? The physical mm-hmm you or another person. And so sometimes these are um, big T's. Uh, a, a very traumatic um, birth story could certainly be a big T, but sometimes um, we can we can actually meet criteria for PTSD with some of the smaller, more pervasive experiences. Like if you're living in a home, for example, where, um, you know, there's uh, quite a bit of um, domestic violence going on, Uh, Maybe you're not specifically being um, injured. Maybe it's just a lot of um, yelling and scariness. And especially if you're a child living in an environment like that, even if there isn't, you know, big incidents where you're being seriously wounded, those kind of experiences over time, um, you know, somebody's throwing things and that's scary, right? So maybe nobody's actually getting um, injured, but for a kid, that could certainly create a, a PTSD situation. Right, right. And some of the distinguishing like factors or symptoms in in PTSD are things like flashbacks and um, like changes in sleep and things like that. Can you speak to a couple more of of those symptoms and how it shows up? Yes. So you have to have the, you have to have the criteria meeting um, situation, right? The, The traumatic situation. But then in addition to that, you also have to meet the criteria for your symptoms. So your symptoms Um, can include things just like you said, the flashbacks or not even flashbacks, but just intrusive memories, you know, keep thinking about the traumatic experiences. And no matter how hard you try to push them out of your mind, they just keep intruding back in on your thoughts, having recurrent nightmares, um, having a, um, 
a depletion of um, feeling, you know, being numb and having a hard time feeling any kind of emotion, um, having hypervigilance where you are quite anxious and you are constantly kind of scanning for situations or triggers that might um, remind you of the trauma and being hypervigilant about trying to avoid situations that might remind you of your trauma. So in addition to having the traumatic experience, you have to have a certain number of these um, criteria meeting symptoms. And so while some people may have a, uh, a trauma that they go through and, and then they do end up meeting criteria for PTSD, many people will have a traumatic experience and have some symptoms, not enough to meet criteria for PTSD, but they are still struggling with the aftermath of trauma. And so I do think that it's so important to recognize that you don't have to have PTSD to be a person who is struggling with trauma symptoms, who's struggling with the um, the healing and recovery process from trauma. So I, I really want to send out that message that trauma healing and tra- trauma difficulty and recovery uh, pertains to all of us, not just people who meet PTSD criteria. Yeah. Yeah. I appreciate you saying that. And it's the same, like I would say, for postpartum depression or anxiety or mood disorders. It's like, just because you may not meet the criteria for a formal diagnosis, just because your anxiety may not be to the point that, you know, you're missing work or you're not leaving the house because of your anxiety, like it, we don't want to let it get to that point. You know, like it's, you don't have to have the diagnosis to seek help. If we seek help before we get to that point and we catch it in some of those earlier stages, even uh, particularly like with postpartum depression um, or our avoidance with anxiety, we we catch it before we start to avoid so many significant things in our life, then we can get a jump start on the work and not have to try to undo so many of those things, right? So absolutely. Yeah. The sooner like- that we can seek help, the better. Yeah. Absolutely. And that that ties right back to what I said in the beginning about what trauma is. You know, when when we are looking at a painful experience that feels overwhelming or unmanageable in the moment, if you're feeling overwhelmed by this difficult experience that you're having, that's the time. That's the time right then to reach out again, either to your support system, to your therapist, to your doctor. Um, but yes, you don't want to wait. You don't want to say, well, I can, I can handle it. And so you're just going to keep handling it until you have a breakdown. That's not in the best interest of you or certainly uh, not in the best interest of your baby and your family. So when you get to that point where you recognize this is hard and it feels overwhelming, that's the time to reach out. It, It leads me to another, um, one of your videos that I had watched about the inner critic and how there's mm-hmm. this there's this side of us or there's this inner critic within us that wants to say, you know, it's not that bad. Like this person had it this much worse. Like it's not that mm-hmm. bad. You just need to suck it up and and move on. And I feel like with moms, particularly around birth, it's like moms have been doing this for how many thousands or whatever, right. hundreds of thousands of years, whatever it is. Um, you know, like this is what moms do. This is the burden we bear. This is this is what you asked for in becoming a mother. Like you need to deal with it, you know. And this inner critic or this whether that's how we talk to ourselves or whether that's the impression we get from some of the people around us sometimes, it's kind of just like this whole, you know, suck it up type of thing. So how do we, and I had a question actually about the inner critic is like, maybe that's a conversation for another day, but I feel like this (laughs) inner critic shapes 
from like if we are in abusive situations or mm-hmm. if we have have experienced childhood trauma or abuse right. that our internal critic often becomes the voice of sort of these toxic or abusive people in life as children right Absolutely. like so um so i feel like when we are talking about birth trauma when we're talking about becoming a mom um trauma that we maybe think that we have dealt with trauma of you know our childhood when we become mm-hmm. a parent mm-hmm. all of that trauma whether dealt with or not because i don't yes. think that healing through trauma is linear i think that we have with each new stage of development it can reemerge and we have a new sort of layer to work through absolutely um but with that birth experience or with becoming a parent, it brings that trauma kind of right to the forefront of our mind again, you know? Absolutely. So, so two questions, I guess, really that inner critic, how can we work through it to, you know, get the help we need, I guess. And two, mm-hmm. would you say that that inner critic is often internalized from sort of some of those relationships and traumatic experiences in our life? Okay. So, oh, these are such good questions. And this is a topic too, that um, really gets my heart afire because I love talking about the inner critic and and how to um, combat some of these voices that live in our heads. And so, yes, um, as, as you noted, I did do a video uh, where I talked about the, the inner critic being a voice from our past. It's um, the voices of all the you know accumulated people and experiences that we've ever had. Um, those those little T traumas of, you know, people being critical towards us or us failing or us struggling, um, all those experiences and all those voices ultimately become the voice of our inner critic and the voice that we use to talk to ourselves. And one of the things that I like to uh, tell people to do is when your inner critic starts talking to you, um, to pause and ask yourself, whose voice is that? Hmm. Whose voice is in my head right now? Is that the voice of a person from my past? Is that the voice of an experience from my past? Uh, because what I know to be true, and and surely you and, and your listeners will be able to relate to this, young children um, aren't self-critical. They actually um, are quite confident. <laughs> young children have lots of confidence uh, that they can do all kinds of things that they can't really do or that they know, right. know about yeah. things that they don't really know about, right? <laughs> Little humans are actually born quite sure of themselves. <laughs> and it is the, um, it's the traumatic experience, experiences that we have throughout our lives that uh, kind of dull that initial um, shine that we come into the world with and that give us this, this voice that really is not ours. And so uh, one of, I think, the most helpful ways to combat that inner critic is to step back, to step outside of it um, and to ask yourself whose voice it is. Sometimes it's also just the voice of fear. It's the, the voice of fear of being rejected or it's the voice of fear um, of not being good enough. And so sometimes when you can see your inner critic as an entity not connected to you, like your, um, sometimes I'll, I'll think of it as, you know, oh, like my very insecure friend or my very anxious friend, right? So you, you look at these parts of you and you recognize that they're, again, trying to be helpful, trying to protect you from rejection or failure or, or whatever, um, but ultimately not being very helpful. And so finding a way to step outside of, of that voice and to um, look at it and talk to it as if it were a, a separate entity from you creates a little bit of space uh, between mm. you and 
critic and can help you um, deal more effectively with that voice in your head. So um, that that answers uh, the question about kind of what to do um, with your inner critic. What was the second question? Yeah, no, you had totally, you touched on it. It was really like whether that inner critic is shaped from like our traumas in life. And you mm. had said that it is this, this accumulation of um, those small T traumas that we have and, and we internalize those. So I love that taking a step back and really kind of questioning whose whose opinion this is, whose voice this is that's mm-hmm. shaped this this critical thought, right? Mm-hmm. Um, another thing that comes to mind is this whole concept of reparenting. Um, yes. And I don't know if this is something that you work with much, but this is something that I'm new to. I'm very new to, but I've been um, talking with some clients about it. Like when would that inner critic really gets, you know, stirred up about something, like For example, when I'm an adult, I'm going to, I can critique myself and my self-talk can be very harsh sometimes, you know, or Mm -hmm. perfectionist or whatever. But if I were to imagine that I am, you know, 10-year-old Erica or 8-year-old Erica who needs to be guided in this moment, how would I speak to her in a way that is, you know, constructive and loving. And like, I would never speak harshly to a child, to my own children, to any child, right? Like, so um, I don't know. Do you do reparenting work? Is that something that you work with or? I do a lot of reparenting work. And I actually, it's it's unfortunate that we're having this conversation now and not uh, a year from now, because I've um, written a book that's coming out in fall of next year, um, which is uh focuses um, a lot on this topic of reparenting and um, and healing your uh, your inner child through reparenting and I think mm. is um, I think this is critically important work to be able to go back to those younger versions of yourself because those younger versions um, of of us show up right when when my inner critic is um, is speaking to me and telling me, that um, that I'm not likable. I know that that voice is coming from a young girl who was rejected by peers at school, right? And so I know right. the part of me that's showing up that's very very young, and I need to be able to talk to that little girl who still <laughs> lives inside me and make sure that she understands that she is likable. And so, mm. most always when we're dealing with our own. Um, criticism and our own judgment of self, it's because we've tapped into a wounded part of us from the past. And that younger wounded version of us is showing up and saying, Hey, I'm still here and I'm hurting. And when we, when we meet those parts of us with love and gentleness and compassion, we are able to self heal. When we meet those young wounded parts of us with criticism and judgment and negative self-talk, we perpetuate those wounds. Yeah. Oh, that's so good. I would love to have you back to do just a reparenting episode. Like we need to unpack that. That it's just such a powerful um, like approach and a powerful way of healing. And every time mm-hmm. I engage in these conversations with people and they really think back to what, you know, eight-year-old, 12-year-old, 16-year-old yes. needed. It's like met with tears and and they carve out their own safety and security in the world by looking back and and being kind with themselves and, you know, providing for their own needs. It's really 
profound like soul work it feels like Absolutely. It's, it's yeah it's amazing um oh i'll have you back for that one i can't i right. can't wait i love the concept <laughs> i love it um Okay, so with our little bit of time left here, I would love to talk about how we overcome trauma. Mm -hmm. Um, And how do we, like I've heard a lot about owning our trauma story, rewriting our trauma story, or finding meaning in our trauma story. And like what, for all the moms listening, like what the heck does this mean for for us (laughs) practically? Like how do we start to accept and overcome and process something that, you know, we are so affected by. Yes. Okay. So this comes back to what I was saying about how the way that we process a trauma, the story that we create around that trauma is actually more important than the facts of the situation itself. And so we have a lot of power actually over how we um, reconcile and look back on our traumatic experiences, depending on how we process and make sense of them. So um, if, uh, if you don't mind, I'll, I'll tell you a little story of a, um, a friend of mine and, and her daughter um, who is in first grade. And she had this um, very painful experience at school. She is a, um, she's biracial and she was at school and one of the boys in her class said to her, I hate black people. And Mm. for this sweet little girl, that is such a traumatic thing to hear. And um, luckily her mom's a social worker. So she's quite emotionally intelligent. And uh, she went and spoke to her teacher and she went and spoke to her mother. And the uh, the situation was handled well by the parents and um, the school. And um, I had been working on a workshop uh, where I asked all of my friends who had young children, you know, kindergarten, first grade children to ask um, their children what they loved about themselves. Now, this story or this uh, uh, situation had happened, I think, three days before she had asked her daughter um, what she loved about herself for my little project. And it was amazing the way that she processed uh, this and created a narrative and a story around it. Because the first thing she said when mom asked, what do you love about yourself? Is she said, I love my skin color and I love that I stick up for myself and others. And she had Mm. story, this story of resilience um, around this traumatic thing that happened. And had the situation been dealt with differently by the adults in her life, easily this could have become a situation that contributed to her having really negative self-talk about herself. But it didn't. It ended up, you know, a trauma that ended up becoming a really powerful story of um, self-empowerment and self-love for this little girl. And so I just, I love that story and that example of, of how we can um, really use the power of, of our mind and the power of um, story creation to make sense of our traumatic experiences. What I think is helpful um, for those of us who are um, who are adults when we're trying to uh, process and create a narrative around our difficult experiences is to be able to, um, like you said before, create meaning out of it. Now, this sweet little girl, the meaning that she created out of it was that she was an advocate, right? She stuck up for herself. She stuck up for the other kids of color in her class. And um, and it became a story of her really being um, strong and powerful. And so we have to look for creating that meaning in our own stories as well. 
And if you think about yourself as the um, as the star in the movie of your life, you know, here you are, you're the protagonist, you're the hero in this story. And so it's important to be able to look for, you know, how have I overcome um, the adversity that was handed to me? How did I make sense of it? How did I become better um, as a person? Or how did I create something good out of what happened? Um, I know that for some people, it can be very helpful um, to look to it as part of some sort of divine plan. This was a thing that was supposed to happen to me so that I could blank, right? And that can be part of um, creating a healing story around our trauma. For other people, seeing it as um, part of a divine plan doesn't really jive. And, and in those cases, sometimes it can just be helpful to say, you know, this was a terrible thing that happened. Um, it shouldn't have happened. Um, it's, it's awful that it happened. But since it did, here's what I made out of it. Here's how I made meaning to this story. Here's how I made something good come out of this really awful thing and use it as a story of triumph. And again, a story of empowerment. So it is so important for us in, in whatever you know trauma story we're dealing with at the time to be able to step back and, and say, how am I going to reconcile this for myself? Because that story that you create around it is going to be um, the thing that you carry with you. Far more than the actual events uh, of the trauma, your story is going to be what matters. So it's important for us to be mindful about how we create these narratives about our life experiences. Hmm. So when we look back at, like, let's say a traumatic birth story, sure. then we would be looking back at the the places where we showed strength yes. and the places where we were resilient or adaptive and like pulling on those parts of the story and highlighting those is that is that sort of certainly and and there are other things too you know maybe you have um a traumatic birth story but what um but what comes out of that is that you realize that you and, and your partner were so strong as a couple, right? You really came together and it really yeah. showed um, the strength of your love for each other or the strength of the, of the love of your family who really showed up for you. And it really, um, uh, you know, gave you an experience of feeling quite loved and, and cared for and recognition that, man, even when really bad things happen, I have people that are going to show up for me. So maybe it isn't even necessarily about you. It's kind of about what happened as a result. Or maybe it's, you know, I had a, a very traumatic birth story and it was a terrible thing that happened. And, you know, now I, um, I am advocating for other mothers or, you know, right. I group or, you know, whatever it was that you did in the aftermath. So even if you felt like you weren't very resilient in the moment, um, to be able to come back with a story of resilience, um, in, in the aftermath, even if it's quite a bit later, um, th there's still always time to, um, to create, you know, the heroic story around your experience. Yeah. Yeah, I love that so much. And it's interesting, before I started this platform, Happy as a Mother and my underscore Happy as a Mother Instagram, I was working on a project called Her Story Spotlight. And I was sort of kind of figuring out my brand and my purpose at the time and on mat leave and playing with the fact that I knew I wanted to help moms, but I wasn't really sure how, you know, in, in the early kind of brainstorming stages. 
And I created this Her Story Spotlight. And I created this um, like a download or this like guided experience for how you walk through your story and kind of pull out um, some of the resilient pieces or like the areas that you find meaning so that if you're sharing with a mom who has gone through a similar experience, like how are you sharing it in a way that that you are sort of inspiring or giving hope mm-hmm. to a mom who's maybe in a similar situation, mm-hmm. right? And the interesting thing now that I'm reflecting as we're having this conversation is I want to, I think all of the people, all of them, maybe minus one who submitted their stories um, were all birth traumas. Wow. There was like, um, moms want an outlet to be able to process this birth experience, this birth trauma. Um, and maybe they don't meet the criteria for PTSD and they're not, you know, really struggling in their day-to-day life in, in the sense of like functioning, like they're doing mm-hmm. all the things and they're, and they're, they're, you know, adulting on just like yes. moms do. Um, but, but they still needed to process this story for themselves, you know, mm-hmm. um, premature births, ending up in NICU, having having all of these interventions and forceps and vacuums and things that are terms that are thrown around every day in the birth world, but that were just like hugely unexpected and traumatic for moms. So as we're talking about it, I'm thinking that I'm going to give that that freebie. I'm going to give it a refresh with the new brand that I have now, and I'm going to link it in the show notes for any of the moms who want to have, it's kind of like a guided journal experience. Um, where they can sort of jot down some of these main points and and just start to like think about and reframe the story a little bit differently because those who had done that with the Her Story Spotlight with this um, particular like set of handouts had really positive things to say about having completed and gone through finding meaning about their story in some way. And they said like it felt very freeing and and not to downplay how hard it was for them in the moment to write the story. Um, some of them were very, you know, triggered and, and struggled with confronting some of the things that they experienced. And um, and part of what I do include in the packages is like if you are experiencing some of these more extreme symptoms, like don't walk through this alone. Go through this story maybe with a therapist or or somebody if you, if you feel like you needed to seek out the support. Others may be able to do it on their own and others um, may like, I mean, it's never too soon to get help and to go through it with a therapist anyways, if you have that uh, capacity to do that. But yeah, I'm going to link that freebie in in a, in a the show notes here and in a download because I just think that um, maybe sometimes we don't know how to go about processing our traumas, you know, particularly birth stories. Um, so yeah, I'll include oh, that here. I love here. that so much. What, yeah. a, what a fantastic resource. Yeah. I love that. So I I'm feel like so many amazing things have come out of our conversation today. And I have so many more questions for you that we'll continue <laughs> on in another episode because I like this whole concept of reparenting and like understanding trauma and doing the soul work to me is just something that it draws me in. Like I want to be able to help people overcome those stuck areas, you know, those wounds that we experience that we can't move past and that continually show up in our lives because uh, we either don't know how to do the work or um, we're sort of scared to do the work or we, we avoid all of these things. So 
Dr. Hattie, I really appreciate you. I appreciate the work that you're doing. I appreciate the fact that you're showing up on Instagram and providing resources and educating people on these traumas so that they can reclaim these areas of their lives. So I appreciate you and I thank you. Where can people find you and where are you hanging out? What are you up to? Yeah, so um, you can easily find me on my Instagram. My handle is at Dr. Heidi Green. And I um, am actually on Facebook and Twitter um, also at that same handle, but I I really am most active on Instagram. I'm posting most days um, on Instagram, a lot of posting about trauma. I talk a lot about uh, the inner critic as well. I'm actually getting ready to, um, to begin creation, content creation for a course on uh, taming your inner critic. That will probably um, be available. And, well, it'll definitely be available in the first half of next year. I, I hope it'll be available in the first um, quarter. If you're interested in kind of keeping up to date on things that I'm going to have coming out, I'll have this course coming out next year, also in, in the fall of uh, next year. Like I said, um, my book will be coming out, which is all about um, healing and resilience and self-love after trauma. We talk a lot. I talk a lot about reparenting um, and give lots of uh, tools and and tricks for um, overcoming your trauma story. And uh, it, again, it's kind of that hero's journey, right? How to have your traumatic experiences, love and repair it and take care of yourself and come out the other side um, as a uh, as a triumphant um, and self-loving person, despite what you've been through. So if you're interested in um, being kind of in the know on when those are going to uh, come out, join my email list. Um, because I'll definitely be giving out, um, you know, reduced prices and coupon codes and things like that on um, my email. So you can find me on my website, which is drheidigreen.com. And if you join my email list, um, you'll get all the information about things that I've got coming out in the next year. And also you'll immediately get um, my self-care guide uh, that is a little freebie that I have for um, anybody that signs up on my email list. So I talk about all the different types of self-care and give lots of examples of um, uh, ways that you can engage in the different types of self-care in that uh, handout on my website. Amazing. Amazing. Thank you so much. And I will be waiting for all of those things to come out. Congratulations on your book deal. I cannot wait for that. So much anticipation. And thank you again for joining us today. We'll be sure to have you back. Thanks so much. I'll look forward to that. This was really fun. Thank you, Erica. Thank you guys all for listening. And just so you know, I have refreshed that free download to help you process through and own your story. And I've made it more general than just a birth trauma so that if you've got any other story or trauma that you feel like you want to try and process through and, you know, redefine that story, find your resilience, understand it from a different perspective, head over to the website where you can download that little mini guided journal for free and work through that experience. can't even begin to tell you how happy and honored I am that you choose to spend your time here with me each week. If you're looking for the resources and things that were discussed in today's show, you can find them in the show notes, which is linked in the episode description. 
or you can head directly to happyasamother.co slash podcast and find all of the show notes there. If you're looking for support and connection with other moms, you can head over to facebook.com slash groups slash happy as a mother and join our Facebook community. This community is filled with women just like you and I who want to support and uplift one another through our postpartum journey. And until next episode, mama, I want you to know, keep showing up. You're doing a great job. Settling is not an option for Everything me. I desire is already mine. What if you can have it all? Because every day is for the girls. Hello, hello. Welcome to For the Girls podcast, hosted by Victoria Alario, For the Girls Who Want More. Listening to For the Girls will have you ready to raise the bar, stop settling for the bare minimum, and start believing you can have it all and step into the 2.0 version of you. You can catch a new episode of For the Girls every Monday across all podcast platforms. Until next time, girls.